Welcome. You've tuned in to Living the Miracle with hosts Michael and Raphael Tamura. You were meant to live a joy-filled life, and you most certainly can. In this program, you will learn simple yet powerful psychic tools to help you fulfill your soul's purpose in this world. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Tamura and Raphael Tamura. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to Living the Miracle with Michael and Raphael Tamura. I am Raphael. And I'm Michael. The purpose for our show is to awaken souls, develop intuition, and fulfill purpose. Today, we're taking off into the usually friendly, but sometimes not so friendly, skies. Have you experienced any miracles in the air? Last week, we got all wet because our show was about the miracles we've had at sea. So this week, we're coming up for air. Over the years, I've heard skateboarders, snowboarders, freestyle skiers, and even BMXers talk about, quote-unquote, getting some air. Of course, when Michael Jordan was king on the royal courts of basketball, there was a lot of talk about how long he can hang in airtime. He seemed to defy the laws of gravity at times. So much so that even a line of basketball shoes were called Air Jordans. Maybe he learned to levitate in a past life. Those who could stay afloat much longer than seemingly possible suspended in the air had a great advantage in their respective sports. So, miracles we experience while in the air can range from when we're up off of our feet for a period of several seconds to when we're comfortably or not flying in a commercial jet to silently gliding along on a hang glider or in a hot air balloon to free-falling out of a plane while skydiving. If a miracle happens while you're hanging down from a ledge off a skyscraper or a bridge would probably count for a miracle in the air as well. For me, the only experiences of being in the air for even a few seconds besides when I was flying in a plane, would be when I used to like to dive off the diving board as a kid at the school. Well, actually, uh, you've had a couple of times when you were briefly in the air above your bed when you were sleeping. They would count as miracles, I'm sure. (laughs) And I'm sure our listeners would like to hear about. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, How could I forget that? You know, we have these experiences phenomenon, if you will, and life still goes on after them. (laughs) The first time that happened, uh, Michael and I were with a group in the Philippines. We were having the experience of seeing the Philippine healers, which is an unusual breed of healers around the world, and every spiritual person uh, probably should have an experience like that at some time in their life. Well, we had gotten, by the time this thing happened, the first time, we had received quite a few healings from various healers, really capable uh, healers in the Philippines. And it was quite hot, and we had a fan uh, blowing on us above our heads, which I really normally didn't like, um, but it was so hot I allowed it to be on. And we both fell asleep into very peaceful sleeps. And the next thing I knew, 
I was hanging in the air about, I don't know, seven feet above the bed because it was sort of a high ceiling in this uh, little hotel we were staying in. And I looked down. Now, this wasn't an out-of-body experience. When I looked down, my body was not there. And I was definitely, I kind of wiggled my fingers. I was definitely my physical me. Um, But it startled me so much. I sort of jerked, and I ended up banging down into the bed and waking Michael up. And he's like, what happened? (laughs) And I told him. So that was the first time that happened. And then quite a few years later, it happened again when we were living in Elk Grove. Um, That was probably about three or four years later. And um, both of us were still, as we are now, practicing giving readings and healings ourselves. And I figured after it happened the second time, and it happened very identically, I woke up. I was above the bed. I looked down. No body down there. I wiggled my fingers to make sure I was my physical self. So to make sure I wasn't uh, just my astral body out of my physical body. And sure enough, I was physically hanging out up there. And as soon as I woke up all the way, I I didn't gently float down. I banged down as if my body was dropped. And it uh, made quite a sound in the bed and once again woke Michael up. So it's not like... Like, what was that? Uh, Tom Terrific's dog, right? In the cartoon show. <laughs> there was this American cartoon show that even I saw when I was uh, growing up in Japan. And, of course, all the characters spoke Japanese in Japan. <laughs> even in the cartoons. Anyway, uh, that uh, Tom Terrific's dog used to levitate lying down after he gets his favorite biscuit. And, and then he's in ecstasy and floats up into this air, and then he just gently comes down. So a little more graceful. <laughs> yeah, a little more gracefully. But, you know, the one thing is that I feel that part of why that happened is I have an open mind about levitation, and I've been interested in it because I levitate in my dreams all the time. And I've always wanted to have the experience not quite like uh, a story Michael's going to tell in a little bit, but it it was, um, you know, being in a particular space to be able to have that. And it was a good laugh for both of us on both occasions. Yeah, so speaking of, you know, levitation, that's definitely a miracle in the air, right? <laughs> You're in the air, and, and it's not something that most people do all the time. Well, when I was 20 years old and I started training with my teacher, Lewis, he told me about the time when he was peacefully sleeping in his bed and he didn't levitate. His bedside phone rang in the middle of the night to wake him up. And when he answered, the wife of a business friend of his was screaming at him. <laughs> you know how it is when, when you're deep asleep and then the phone wakes you up, right? <laughs> And she's screaming at him, he's on the ceiling, he's on the ceiling, he's stuck on the ceiling, and you have to come over, what do I do? (laughs) Of course, Lewis laughed and calmly told her, open the window and push him out. (laughs) You can get rid of him forever. (laughs) That's the humor, the absolute humor of our teacher. His friend was a successful businessman and a one other interest in life, you know, besides succeeding as a businessman. 
And it was actually, according to Lewis, bordering on obsession. More than anything, he wanted to learn to levitate. Lewis said that this man bought or borrowed every book on the subject he can find and studied them. And he went to whatever, you know, there's not a whole lot of workshops, especially back then, on levitation. (laughs) So he tried out everything and took any advice he got from anybody on how to levitate. Apparently, he did that for years with no success. He wasn't interested in any other psychic ability or phenomena, just levitating. Then, on that fateful night, he succeeded. (laughs) His wife later told Lewis that her husband got up out of the bed in the middle of the night to go sit in the living room in his easy chair to try out another attempt at levitating. And so she just rolled over. It was kind of a common thing in their household. (laughs) And she went back to sleep until she heard him yelling at her from the other room. And this woke her up. So she went to the living room to investigate what his problem was. Well, (laughs) much to her surprise, he was stuck on the ceiling. And the ceiling had prevented him from levitating any higher. That's why Lewis joked to her to open the window and push him out if she wanted to get rid of him for good. And of course, Lewis knew she would do no such thing, even though <laughs> she might have thought about it <laughs> for a bit. Um, his friend didn't know how to control his levitating since he had never actually levitated until that experience. He was like a pilot who learned to take off with his plane, but didn't yet know how to land. <laughs> so Lewis taught us that if we ever found ourselves in that position outside, you know, where there's no ceiling, <laughs> and, you know, you're going higher and higher, we were to start swimming in the air, like freestyle strokes and kicking, in the direction we wanted to head. Then, you know, get to the closest safe stationary object like a non-electric pole or bar or tree that was available and hug it until we get grounded and regain our certainty in gravity. He talked about a young man who had dropped too many hits of acid, LSD, back in the 60s and lost his certainty in gravity. You know, we all have certainty Oh, yeah, of course, we're on Earth, there's gravity, you know, we can walk, we can stand, and we're not going to just start floating up into the air for no reason at all. Huh, that's just gravity. And, and uh, but, you know, it's all, really, it's all in our mind, isn't it? And so when you lose that certainty that gravity is real and that's always how it is, well, guess what? <laughs> this kid start in, in Santa Cruz started floating around four to six inches off the ground a lot most of the time, not able to ground himself. So at least he wasn't levitating uncontrollably, you know, into the never-never land. <laughs> <laughs> Raphael and I also had a friend who was a shaman whose psychic mother would often yell at him to go back to bed when he was growing up. Not uncommon for a mother with a growing boy, right? Get back to bed. (laughs) Except that in his case, (laughs) 
why he was out of bed and his mother was yelling at him to get back down in bed is because he was on the ceiling as well. Our friend said he would be sleeping and wouldn't know that he had lifted up, just like Raphael, you know, didn't know he just lifted up to the ceiling until his mother would yell at him to get back down. (laughs) Fortunately, he had a psychic mother who understood those kinds of things (laughs) and didn't make it, uh, you know, a circus. Funny examples of miracles in the air, don't you think? But I wanted to I wanted us to share a few of these with you because when most people think of miracles happening while they're in the air, wouldn't normally think of these kinds of miracles in which being in the air is the miracle. Well, I'd like to share a story with you <clears throat> about a time I was in the air over the Denver airport. Now, for some crazy reason, the De- in Denver International Airport was built on the very beginning of what is called in the U.S. Tornado Alley. There's a whole section of the United States that's prone to tornadoes, and this was right on the border. So needless to say, this was not a wise choice, um, I think, for choosing to put an airport in. However, they did. And so often there would be tornadoes coming through the airport area when planes were trying to come in for landing. And one day, I was in an airplane coming from somewhere, because we lived in Colorado for seven years between 1996 and 2003, so we were often flying back and forth uh, from Sacramento and so forth. And the pilot had announced that we were in for a little rough ride when it came to the landing, And so everybody kind of looked at each other, and there was a little fearful energy that came through the plane. And as we got, as we got close to the airport, he attempted a landing, and it didn't work. Came up, and he was going around in a seven-mile circle. So there, that was a kind of a fun thing because part of that circle, we flew right over our house, which I had never seen from the air. But as we were flying, I could tell that pilot was trying to set things up for a better landing. And by the way, the winds were about 80 miles an hour. They were very rough winds. So I decided to go to work with my energy work. And basically, I just imagined a blue energy with a lot of amusement in it. And I put it out from the front of the plane and I created, in my mind, just a very safe landing. However, he would come in, he would come in between those air molecules that were blowing all around and it would be a very smooth landing. And once I felt like I had that all set, the pilot went ahead and start, made his second attempt at landing and we came in and it was as smooth as any landing, including the touchdown. You know, sometimes the pilot's kaboom, boom, you know, you bounce down the uh, runway a little bit. But in this case, it was the most perfect landing I have ever felt. And the pilot comes on and says, well, I don't know why that happened, but uh, at least you guys didn't bounce around or something to that effect. The pilot had been very concerned about um, the landing being very rough, and it wasn't. So for me... I don't know if my energy work actually was what did the help or he uh, just happened to come in when the winds were in between their blowing, but 
that's one of the ways that um, I was able to create a miracle for me anyway. And Michael, did you have something you wanted to add to that? All right. So there are lots of stories in the air, but I think I'm going to uh, set us up for our first break. And I wanted to let you know that we have a new teleclass coming up uh, a week from this Saturday on March 21st from 10 a.m. to 12 Pacific time. We will be teaching a teleclass titled Your Clairsentience, Sorting Out What You Feel. Join us for this teleclass that you can attend from most anywhere in the world on your phone to learn about your soul ability to feel energy, others' emotions, whether a place is safe or not, and so, so much more. Learn how you can better manage your sensitivity to others' energies that you are feeling all the time. Find out all the details and sign up on our website, events calendar for March, at our website, michaeltamora.com, or sign up by calling our office at 530-926-2650 during normal business hours, specific time, Monday to Friday, and speak with our assistant, Noel. We'll be back in a couple of minutes, and we'll continue with Miracles in the Air, and we have lots more to share with you. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you aware that each one of us was born with a mission, a sense of purpose? Even if you don't know it yet, it will reveal itself. Pay attention to the clues that will lead you to uncover your mission. Listen to Mission Possible program with host Carol Ann Fernandez. Along with some amazing guests, Carol Ann seeks to help you along the journey to manifest your mission. It's time to unleash your greater potential. Mission Possible program airs live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Are you aware that each one of us was born with a mission, a sense of purpose? Even if you don't know it yet, it will reveal itself. Pay attention to the clues that will lead you to uncover your mission. Listen to Mission Possible program with host Carol Ann Fernandez. Along with some amazing guests, Carol Ann seeks to help you along the journey to manifest your mission. It's time to unleash your greater potential. Mission Possible program airs live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Are you ready for a show about possibilities? Are you tired of boundaries and limitations and ready for expansion and growth? Then tune in and spend some time with Dr. Rebecca Huey, host of Mastermind. Dr. Rebecca provides a stimulating, encouraging environment designed to help you develop emotional intelligence, resilience, and the self-awareness necessary to create positive, long-lasting change. Listen every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Living the Miracle. Michael and Raphael would love to hear from you. 
Reach the show today by calling 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to livingthemiracleradio at gmail.com. Now back to Living the Miracle. Well, it's great to have you back. Let's continue with our exploration of miracles in the air. Well, I was telling the story about the uh, possible rough landing in the airplane I was in, and I think I forgot to mention that one of the things I did until the pilot landing landed the plane was I just visualized in my mind a very super smooth, soft landing, and it is exactly what I got. Yeah, you know, now that we're talking about being up in the air in more common ways, um, like airplanes, <laughs> I've had quite a few miracles while up in the air on a variety of planes. Since I started to fly in planes from Japan to the U.S. when I was not quite four years old, about every two to four years until I came over by myself to live here at 16. The first one that comes to mind was when I was about eight years old, and that was my second Trans-Pacific flight. <laughs> the first one from, from Tokyo to San Francisco took 40, what was it, 49 hours, 48 hours, something like that, because we had to land twice in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, uh, once in Midway, once in Hawaii, to uh, refuel because it was a four-propeller airplane, an actual airplane, if you can remember those. <laughs> For those of you old enough. <laughs> As opposed to a jet. Yeah. So it took 40, now it takes nine and a half, ten hours uh, straight across. But uh, uh, back then, it was 48 hours, 49 hours of total travel time once you're in the air. Okay. So... Uh, one of the first ones, I was about eight years old, sitting by the window seat. For some reason, I always got seated uh, by the window next to the wing, to the, next to the right wing of, of the plane when I was uh, growing up. And a lot of times, um, I guess we just got seats where we ever got seated. So I wasn't seated with my parents. They were in the back somewhere, and I was by the wing. And um, it was on a early, one of the first turboprop planes. So the first one was just a propeller airplane and it took 48, 49 hours, but the turboprop cut that time period down to about 32 hours. So it was much faster. It was more souped up kind of a propeller plane with a turbo engine boost on it. But while we were flying in the middle of the night, since it's such a long flight, uh, we're in the middle of the night, it's pitch black outside, I was fascinated with that orange glow, you know, the, the engines get hot, so it starts to glow when it's pitch black out there, and this beautiful orange color, and there's this little, uh, not quite flames, but this hot, like embers, you know, uh, glowing on, on the engines. And so I'm watching the two engines on my side of the plane and uh, fascinated. It was like 
being a little bit mesmerized, you know, watching the flames dancing in the fireplace or a campfire in the dark of the night, you know, you just watch it and you kind of go into a meditation. Well, I was watching with this this fascinating phenomena. Well, the number four engine on the far side of the starboard wing started to glow even brighter, while the number three engine stayed the same. So I'm comparing the two, and soon the number four engine was engulfed in actual flames. <laughs> it was like a bonfire, which didn't look right. And I thought, no, that's, that doesn't look right. The other engine doesn't look like that at all. So I waved at the flight attendant, and, uh, you know, she came running over, and I said, look, and uh, it's, the engine looks like it's on fire. And she looked out my window and blanched. <laughs> the color went right out of her face. Then she ran into the cockpit because almost 60 years ago, they could do that. You know, there was not the kind of security things now. Uh, she just ran there, opened the door, went in. And closed the door. A few minutes later, the pilot announced that they lost engine number four, that it caught on fire, and they had to shut off the engine and and shut off the fuel from going to feed the flames. So everything was completely turned off on engine number four. But he he told whoever was still awake on the plane, everybody pretty much was asleep. I, I'm one of the few ones that was awake, and. They said they still had three engines, and there was nothing to worry about. That's okay. A couple minutes later, the captain came on the PA system again and announced that they had enough fuel for us to reach Honolulu, our refueling layover destination, as scheduled. Several minutes later, he announced again, the engineer recalculated the fuel usage, and they didn't have enough fuel to make it to Honolulu after all. (laughs) So we would be making a detour to land on Midway. And at this point, almost everybody's still asleep, so nobody's listening to the announcements. But I was very fascinated. About 15 minutes later after that announcement, the captain came back on, announced that actually we didn't quite have enough fuel to make it to Midway. And we're we're out of luck. <laughs> to conserve more fuel, they had to, to to in order to be able to make it to Midway, they had to lighten up the load on the plane. <laughs> so the flight crew, the entire flight crew except for the pilot and co-pilot and engineer up front, went to the after the aircraft, opened the door, and started heaving the larger footlockers and suitcases overboard. <laughs> The aft of the airplane is the back of the plane where they used to put the suitcases. Yeah, that's where they used to put the suitcases, not in the belly of the plane. And so then um, the the footlockers and suitcases went overboard to their final resting places at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean. Well, finally, the captain determined after about 20 more minutes of flying, he came back on and said, they would have just enough fuel to get us to Midway on the three engines. <laughs> As an eight-year-old, I wasn't concerned at all. I intuitively knew that we were going to be fine. It was quite an adventurous flight, however, because especially when the crew opened the aft door on the plane to dump the luggage, 
<laughs> the entire cabin turned into like a wind tunnel. It, that woke everybody up. I mean, the turbulence was amazing. It's just everything is shaking and rattling and papers and cups and things are flying all over the place because it's quite a bit of wind coming in. <laughs> uh, and so um, I'm sure the my spirit guides were getting me to watch the number four engine and report the fire to the flight attendant because I'm the only one who saw it until I showed the attendant. Had it gone unnoticed for much longer, I don't know if we would have had enough fuel because it burns up a lot of fuel when it's on fire <laughs> to make our emergency stop at midway even after tossing all the luggage. So that was... Definitely a, a kind of miracle. <laughs> it wasn't all the luggage because your parents didn't lose theirs. No, and yeah, we didn't lose our luggage. Poor people who had the biggest luggage and the heaviest stuff. And I do remember as an eight-year-old thinking, oh, after they throw off all the uh, luggage and it's still not enough, I guess the heaviest people <laughs> were going to get dumped first. <laughs> <laughs> and so I didn't have to worry about that since being a kid. I had the smaller body than most of the people on the plane. Mm-hmm. Ah, so it was a bit hairier later on in my life when I was about 28 years old. And I was traveling with my first wife to Tokyo on a JL Boeing 747 jumbo jet with well over 400 souls in bodies <laughs> on board. The flight was smooth and uneventful, except that we were delayed a bit from taking off due to some kind of a mechanical. And nobody thought much of it. They just announced, yeah, it's all fixed and uh, no problem. We took off. Well, the flight was predominantly filled with Japanese, Chinese, and English-speaking passengers. So every announcement was made in those three languages in that order. As we were approaching Narita International Airport for our landing, I noticed something was off with the aircraft. Nothing wrong. You know, it wasn't like turbulent or anything. It wasn't like making funny sounds. I just intuitively knew something was off. And it became more noticeable as the pilot banked the plane in his approach toward the airport. And I go, I told my wife at that point, you know, hey, um, something's wrong. I think that mechanical didn't get fixed or it's not working again, whatever that was. Then the captain came on the PA system and first in Japanese began, uh, please loosen your buttons on your shirts and blouses. Remove all jewelry from your body. Remove dentures. Take out any pencils, pens, and other sharp objects from your pockets. We're going, God, this is, I'm going, you know, since uh, I'm the only one that could understand that in, in our row, this is a, I've never heard instructions like this for landing. And he continues this strange set of instructions in detail, listing everything, until the captain ended with, after doing all of that, Please assume the crash landing position. (laughs) I had to explain it to my seatmates. (laughs) And so instantly, 
all those who understood Japanese went into a frenzy of you know, yelling out questions and asking what's happening and looking terrified and everything. While those who didn't understand Japanese started looking around to see why some people were furiously taking things off of their bodies and some were assuming the crash landing position, you know, when you're holding your your ankles (laughs) bent over. Then the instructions came in Chinese, followed by a flurry of activity and worried questions being hurled around the cabin by the Chinese-speaking passengers. By then, (laughs) those who understood Chinese or Japanese were pulling out Bibles and other scriptures and starting to pray out loud. And the poor English-only speaking passengers were going nuts. (laughs) They were just looking around like, what is going on? Would somebody tell us what's going on? Meanwhile, I grounded myself and clairvoyantly looked at what was going on with our plane. I saw that one of the ailerons were stuck and something wasn't working right with the landing gear. We were now on our active descent, lining up to the runway. Then I realized I hadn't heard or felt the landing gear drop. And the pilot was having a very difficult time making the wings parallel to the ground. We were coming in on a heavy list to the port side, and it was not good. Even if the pilot, you know, if, if the pilot couldn't straighten the wings out, uh-oh, we would definitely crash and probably flip or break apart the whole plane and impact. Okay. <laughs> if they couldn't drop the landing gear, we were going to belly flop and break apart. Either option, not good. <laughs> Not good at all. And so I was really looking at this and going, okay. Finally, I was able to get a look out the window to the tarmac and where we're headed. And the seriousness of our situation became utterly clear. I've never seen an airport runway as clean as this one. I mean, nothing was in I couldn't see any plane. I couldn't see any vehicle. You know, usually there's other planes parked and landed and this and that. They cleared the entire runway. And then the right side of the runway as we're coming in was lined with a couple hundred emergency vehicles, fighting, firefighting equipment, other emergency equipment, several hundred emergency personnel on the ready in various protective gear. It was quite a sight. And so I'm working, like Raphael did, on an energy level. And I was in prayer, communicating to God and all available angels and spirit guides as to our situation. And so they're working. While I worked on the energy of the landing gear and the aileron, they're working on stabilizing the wings and, you know, getting the energy straight so we would have the best chance of at least making it to the ground and and landing in some fashion, right? Although we were supposed to be in the crash landing position, bent over forward, head tucked between our legs and holding our ankles, I decided that if we didn't have a miracle, we weren't going to make it in whatever position we were in anyway. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I continued to look out the window and I did my part. And moments before we touched down, there was just moments. They were coming down, there's the ground, and there's this loud, I mean really loud, caught drunk below us, and the lit- and the plane just the landing gear literally fell out. And the whole plane just went from side to side and all of a sudden it straightened out right before we touched ground. And then we bashed and scraped and thudded down the runway as people screamed and everything went flying. But we made it with that kaklunk. And I thank Spirit. That was certainly a miracle. I mean, totally a miracle that started in the air and finished when we hit the ground. But as always, a miracle is a gift that keeps giving. To this day, that miracle has given me certainty that we're here until we're done here. And any landing from which you can walk away is a good landing. (laughs) That is for doggone sure. My goodness. Well, I want to also share another airplane story, but this one is not as harrowing, fortunately. Actually, before I get to that story, I wanted to talk about getting on airplanes, that I work with Archangel Michael whenever I get on an airplane. And uh, Archangel Michael is a very huge angel, bigger than any airplane. But what I like to do is I like to surround the airplane with a... Uh, Archangel Michael above, Archangel Michael below, Archangel Michael on the wings and in the front and in in the back. (laughs) And whenever there's a little bit of turbulence or whatever going on, I just ask him to steady the plane. And usually it's steadied within a minute or two, sometimes instantaneously. So, Because I don't like turbulence, even though turbulence is a natural thing. A pilot one time said to our group in a very, very large airplane, I think it was a DC-9, we were taking off from the Philippines and it felt like it was taking forever. And he said, think of the, the turbulence as bumps in the road, like when you're driving in a truck with bad shocks. And it's kaboom, kaboom. So I guess it's time for a break. Yeah. (laughs) We're at our second break, so it's a good time to mark your calendars. We'll be at our Living the Miracle radio show booth at the New Living Expo, Friday, April 3rd through Sunday, April 5th. The expo will be held at the San Mateo Events Center in San Mateo, California. For a special treat, Michael will give a 45-minute lecture at 6 p.m. on Friday in Room 1 at the expo on Clairvoyance, Seeing Truth and Living Joyously. For all the information about the Expo, go to their website at newlivingexpo.com. Hope to see you there. When we return, we'll continue our exploration of miracles in the air. See you in a couple minutes. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you ready to face changes in your life? For many, that answer might be no, not yet, or never. Whether positive or negative, moving forward or stepping back, change is the one important constant in our life. Learn how to deal with change on A New You with host Liz Tupling. The show will help you move through personal transformation by providing a GPS, if you will, to guide you on the journey to your better self. 
Listen live Fridays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. Tune in to Lead Up for Women. Speak up to Lead Up as we celebrate the influence of women in business and beyond. Your host, Colleen Biggs, speaks with guests who have stories to share, have faced adversity, and have become success stories in business, in their communities, and in personal accomplishments. Join the strong and the brilliant ones and understand that the world is ready for you to be at your best. Lead Up for Women is heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Our thoughts and feelings not only affect our own lives, but the lives of everyone around us. Find new meanings of love, authentic expressions, and better connections with the people in your life. Tune in to Love Light with Dr. Jean Marie Farish. This program will feature guests and discuss ideas that will bring a better life to you. When you find this perspective on love, it will change everything. Listen live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Living the Miracle. Michael and Raphael would love to hear from you. Reach the show today by calling 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to livingthemiracleradio at gmail.com. Now back to Living the Miracle. Welcome back. We are talking about miracles in the air. One of the things that I know is that a lot of the creatures in our world sometimes come to us as symbols, and there are other symbols that show up in the air, creatures such as birds, butterflies, dragonflies, beetles, bugs. Sometimes these creatures have a very big symbolic meaning, and they will oftentimes fly by us or show up um, flying in the air just when we need it. Well, there are other symbols too, such as rainbows. I had a really wonderful experience during a a sort of a, let's say, emotional time for me, and it was very recent, actually. We were talking about being in airplanes. So I was, once again, in an airplane on my way to Mobile, Alabama, to be able to be with my family while one of my brothers transitioned, which he just did on March 8th, 2020. That was last Sunday. And as the plane I was in, which was a smaller plane, was coming in for a landing, we were, I don't know, several hundred feet above a cloud cover, a thin cloud cover that was over Mobile, you know, the kind of cloud cover that's sort of thin, you can see through it. But as we were coming in for our landing, I noticed that whenever I could see the shadow of our airplane on those clouds down below us, the shadow was completely surrounded by a circular rainbow. And it happened about eight times during the landing. It was very, very special. And because of that, I noticed during the five days I was there that oftentimes a light hitting something would cause these very, very dramatic uh, rainbows. And that started becoming my symbol for 
this transition being very um, peaceful and wonderful, which it was, which it was. Yeah, that happens a lot. And, and when uh, people are transitioning, they're, they're making their exit from this world and, and you get all kinds of beautiful signs of, okay, everything's great. Yeah, sometimes I'm, it'll be that bird coming to your window that was the person's <laughs> favorite bird. Yeah, and, you know, so many miracles in the air. I, I just thought of one, uh, again, with my teacher uh, when he was alive. And this was quite a few years, many years ago. Uh, I was on my first uh, hot air balloon ride with him. And it wasn't, I wasn't even supposed to be on there. We were all, a bunch of us were getting together a surprise very early in the morning before before daybreak, uh, early in the morning, balloon, hot air balloon ride for our teacher uh, for his birthday. And so we woke him up in the middle of the night practically and got him to cooperate, <laughs> took him out to the field and we hopped into the uh, he hopped into the um, hot air balloon with one of the uh, America's foremost hot air balloonists. We didn't know that until then. He was this was his last flight uh, in the U.S. for the following six months while he toured internationally, and he was going to lead an expedition, special air hot air balloon expedition in China across China as a as a you know part of the uh, exhibition. And so this was going to be the last one. And we got in just at the final time. So we got in or he got in and then everybody else says, Hey, it's your birthday coming up too in a little while. You, you get to go in too. So I jumped in. It was a total surprise for both of us. And we went up it was a dark, dark morning, you know, and then it was all clouded over. Everything, the entire sky was clouded over. It wasn't raining, but it was clouded over, and the forecast was for rain. Oh, it was pouring torrentially overnight, but when we got there, it was, you know, stopped raining. So we got up, and as we got to the altitude, a circle opened up in the clouds. It was the most incredible sight where there's this perfect circle in the cloud that opened up to completely blue sky, sunny, golden, sunny, blue sky. And every, as far as you can see in every direction was black clouds. And it was so unusual. The captain, the the hot air balloonist took out, he had like four different top-level cameras. He was an avid photographer. And he just started taking out all his cameras and shooting every which way he, he must have shot. This, and this was before digital, right? This is actual print and film. And he's taking a zillion pictures because he couldn't stop going, this is amazing, this is amazing, this is a miracle. He says, this doesn't happen because you look up and we're in the center of the circle where the cloud is open. Like somebody removed a manhole cover from above us. We're completely in the sunshine under blue sky. Well, just like maybe a, a radius of a football field away from us is dark, solid clouds. 
and and mostly raining, pouring. And no matter which way we went, the circle followed us. We were in the middle of the circle no matter which way we went, no matter how far we went that way. And then we'd start moving the opposite direction and we'd still be in the circle. That happened until we landed. In fact, the flight was supposed to be for 20 minutes, which was the standard flight. And that's what we paid for. But the hot air balloonist said, you know, I don't get an opportunity like this ever. This is the first time I've ever seen anything like this. Do you mind, you know, do you have to get down in 20 minutes? And we just said, no, we got all day. <laughs> we got all the time in the world. So he said, okay. He kept on taking pictures. He take it, took us all over the place. And he just couldn't believe it. We were up there for a over 45 minutes and he said finally said oh no i got an afternoon flight i have to uh prepare for so i have to go down otherwise he said we'll be staying up here all day and we went down as soon as we touched ground and he anchored the hot air balloon the downpour came in the the hole closed up we're covered over with dark clouds storm clouds and it was a downpour it was just pouring and we just all ran for shelter and uh, laughing and celebrating and everything but that was definitely the most gorgeous beautiful uh, miracle in the skies that I've I've experienced so there's there's you know miracles are either a lot of people think of miracles of escaping you know, sure death or uh, injury or horrific whatever accident. Uh, and, you know, we've had some of those. But miracles are also one that uplifts and just goes, hey, you don't have to be in a life-threatening situation. You don't have to be in a catastrophe. You could just have a miracle. And that's that's what our radio show is really about, is living the miracle every day. It's don't wait for do or die situation you can have a miracle just on an ordinary day you know it's it's that's not against the law <laughs> not yet anyway <laughs> and so then but when i was we were both talking about different dicey situations we've been in in flight in the aircraft and since i know so many of you listening fly a lot, right? We're in a very mobile society and a very mobile time where people are flying here and there all the time. Some people commute by airlines. And so so I thought maybe that's a good example where you the, the more you do something, the more you end up having different kinds of experiences. And it's good to be able to create the situation and the space in which miracles can happen, both in terms of something that's already a great flight and, ah, you know, you get miraculously upgraded or you miraculously, you know, have a have a, a wonderful sight or something like that, like the rainbows that Raphael saw and those kinds of experiences. And... Um, uh, or miraculously find out you're on the wrong flight, like I've done a couple of times. <laughs> or miraculously had someone sitting next to you that was an important person yeah, mixed, for you to meet. Yes, becomes a lifelong friend or exactly has the information that you've been seeking that nobody else has. 
those kinds of miracles are, you know, is available in the in the flights. So prayer, meditation, energy work are all very important in making the space for miracles to happen while you're in the air. And even ordinary things like a lot of people get very upset with babies crying in in airplanes, you know. The the pressure changes, the ear hurts, they're uncomfortable, they're going to cry. But when people start getting very upset about that and throwing a lot of energy to the parents or the to the uh, baby or whatever, it's going to make it worse. So even something like that, if you want the miracle of a you know quiet flight, just don't try to control the situation like that by forcing your unhappiness on everybody else or blaming somebody else. That's going to be anti-miracle. <laughs> the miracle it happens if you create a situation where you can help uplift the energy. Ah, because a crying baby is already upset and the mother, father, the parents trying to, you know, settle the baby down are already upset. So, ah, why not make it the other way? Reset the energy so that they don't have to be upset. And as fewer people are upset, oh, the baby is going to calm down because the baby has much more of a fine energy, a wonderful energy to match. And that goes with not just babies, but disgruntled passengers or whatever. Whenever the situation gets, you know, dicey, little dicey in some way, emotional, psychological, or physical, ground the space. Yeah, imagine that tree trunk. And don't worry, grounding the airplane isn't the same as, you know, the airplane terminology of that plane's grounded and won't fly. No, it's grounding, it's just grounding the energy so that all the negative energies, all the survival, fear, everything just gets grounded off because that doesn't belong there. It's not normal. It's not true. It's made up. And so you ground all that excess energies of everybody off. Huh, and then bring in, you can bring in the gold sun. Or you can imagine like Raphael did, imagine that blue tube of safety leading the plane down to the good landing. Or call upon your angels, call upon your spirit guides, call upon God. That's right. Call, call upon the Holy Spirit. All right, well, now you have some good tools for flying in the air and for realizing what the air contains, a miracle. Once again, we've come to the end of our show. We're delighted that you joined us today. We hope you loved our show and do let us know by commenting on our Facebook posts. Join us again online next Wednesday for our show on Lost and Found Miracles. Remember, too, you can join us on Saturday, March 21st at 10 a.m. Pacific time on your phone for our teleclass on Your Clairsentience, Sorting Out What You Feel. For details and to sign up, go to our website events listing for March 2020. You can also sign up by calling our office at 530-926-2650. We hope you can join us in class. Until then, be inspired Use your imagination and follow your intuition joyfully. This is Living the Miracle with Michael and Raphael Tamura. We shall see you next week. 
We appreciate your joining us today. Living the Miracle with Michael and Raphael Tamura can be heard live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we talk again next week, remember to wake up to who you are. It's your purpose here on Earth.